0: Welcome brethren to Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, Tonight we'll have a summary and review and Q&A with myself and Pastor Murray. Just doing a bit of a sound check before we go live. Greetings, brethren, to Wednesday night Bible study. Just doing, again, another sound check before we go live. Good evening, uh, Sister Christy and Arlene. Also RJIC and uh, Marion, Sister with Love. Very, very good. We're just about to get started. Just confirming that uh, the sound is working properly before we get started. Great. Perfect. Okay. Very, very good. We'll get started in just a moment. Greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, Sharing the uh, spotlight with me this evening is uh, Pastor Murray, so uh, both myself and uh, Pastor Murray. Greetings, brother. How are you? Good. How are you, uh, Pastor Adrian? Great to uh, have you with us today. And, uh, you know, before we get started, I just have to uh, commend you on the sermon that you gave on Sabbath. It's one of those rare sermons, which I said in the Slack channel, that, uh, you know, you hear it and it immediately and permanently changes your perspective on, on, a, on an important matter. And, and I think all the brethren who heard the sermon, uh, just would react the exact same way. It's like, I've never heard this before. This makes total sense. I'm never going to see this issue the same way again. So thank you for all the work that uh, you put into the sermon on Sabbath.
1: Uh, praise God. I uh, appreciate the comments. Uh, really it's, uh, uh as, uh, several have have noted in their comments to us. It's really a culmination of the work that we all do here, yourself, Deacon Jan, and myself, and how our messages really build upon the other. And uh, really that message was simply uh, uh, another layer onto what uh, the three of us have been talking about for several weeks and months now. So
0: So I believe most of the brethren who follow us on Sabbath also follow the Bible studies, but maybe not Mm -hmm. everybody who follows the Bible study follows us on Sabbath services. So if you did miss that message, it's entitled... Is Your Soul Afflicted? Is Your Soul Afflicted uh, by Pastor Murray Palmitier, and that will be in the archives. Maybe just as we get started, brother, would you mind uh, maybe opening with prayer? Sure. Uh,
1: Father in heaven, we are just so very grateful to uh, be part of your called out ones here, uh, especially during this time of year, the whole festival season. And we come before you now uh, from around the world, connected through uh, technology, just thanking you so very much for the ability to, to get together and study your word and, and interact um, in the light of your truth. And just so very grateful that you continue to open our minds and to what you have for us and what you've preserved down through the uh, millennia for, for your, your covenant people. We just ask for a special blessing on your body at this time of year as we prepare now to uh, gather for the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a most unique year for all of us given the uh, condition that the world finds itself in with uh, COVID and all the subsequent regulations. But uh, there's still a command for us to uh, gather and rejoice. We just ask you to give us wisdom and uh, courage and desire to obey your command and to, to do that. But for, for right now, we just ask you to be with us this evening as we, we gather and have a little bit of interaction around the Bible studies and just thank you for all of these things. Thank you for the opportunities to come together and serve you and worship you and do this in Jesus
0: Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, thanks so much, brother. And uh, yeah, just a quick
1: note before we go. Just a quick yes. note before we go. Uh, It does not seem to be on the church.online. Uh, it seems to be an issue there. So we're guiding everybody over to YouTube or to Facebook. Uh, it is still not up and, and running. Uh, okay.
0: So there is some issue there, but I guess uh, they can still comment there, uh, Pastor Murray, and yes. you can uh, monitor that. Yep. So we will take questions and comments uh, on the chat on cgi.online.church, but to actually follow along with what we're saying, um, please go to our YouTube or our Facebook page, and I do see some of the brethren, uh, Sister Christie. good evening, says good evening, good evening to you, Sister Christie, and your family, and uh, Arlene uh, Reisinger, uh, greetings, Sister, And uh, we also have, let's see here, who else is on? We have uh, Vida, I think it's Vida, in Tabang. Good evening. Watching from Ghana. Beautiful. Welcome. Mm -hmm. I wonder what time, I wonder what the time difference is there. It's amazing to see brethren, how we can be connected to brethren all over the world. So good evening to you. I'm saying sister because Vida sounds uh, like if it was a Spanish name, I think that would be, you know, Vida would be, um, but I'm not sure. So, sister yeah, or brother?
1: It, it does. It does look like a a, a woman's name. I, I'm yeah. familiar. I've got. Uh, I work with about ten or twelve uh, people from Ghana. So, SSA uh, to, to our sister Vita.
0: Beautiful. I so say you say that again.
1: SSA means uh, how are you?
0: Beautiful, sister. I hope you're well. And the Arctic Owl. This is Reg. Beautiful. Uh, great. Thanks for the sound confirmation. And we have uh, Merlene Kellogg Benner uh, from Michigan. Wonderful to have you. And then we also have Sister Marian. Uh, beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful. So, um, I was going to say something to you. I, I guess what I was going to just share with you, brother, is that for me, uh, studying the Psalms the way that we have over the past few months, um, so first of all, I, I didn't know the structure of the book. I didn't realize that it was actually five books. I just thought it was Psalms with these independent Psalms. Um, I always treated the Psalms totally independently. It's like, you know, Psalm 23 and Psalm 119. And, you know, you have these familiar Psalms. Uh, For me, I think uh, understanding that the book actually does have a structure. Also, I think I I thought all the Psalms were written by David. Um, So just sort of diving in line by line and beginning to see understand the, the themes in the book of psalms and the structure of it and that there is more than one author um and there's real deep truth in the in in this uh book uh, that that's what's striking me as we're going through this and and I think the the covenant love that uh Jehovah has for his people that they do not deserve anything from him and yet he's totally committed to them, and we see that through the psalmists as they grieve and they lament, but they depend on this cassette, this this covenant love. So that's that's what's um, striking me. I wonder what you're, how, what, how are you um, reacting, responding? Uh, what are your impressions?
1: Yeah, similar thoughts, uh, for sure. Uh, I think academically, I can say that I did know there were five books, and they kind of lined up to the Torah, but academically and, and really digging in is a Get a whole different level for sure. Uh, I was aware that they were more than just David. Uh, but again, that was an act, that was academic knowledge. Uh, really, I didn't realize that, uh, uh book three was mostly or, or all Asaf. So, Asaph, yeah. uh, yeah, mostly so, I think there's uh,
0: one from David.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so what the, the other thing I would say that has, uh, in addition to what you said that has sort of, uh, touched me is, um, the fact that when, Looking, looking at the the, the uh, they laid bare their emotions uh, and their right. and and their 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 journey and understanding. So while while we're reading it in real time, at least we're going through it in real time. They're actually obviously because it's it's a psalm and he's he's come to the end of it. He's actually finished that thought process, but he's still able to convey the struggles he had at oh, the yes. beginning. Yes. Yes. As as he's coming to a full understanding of of God's covenant yes. love.
0: Yeah, and I think that 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 particular thought process struck me with Asif when he said, you know, his foot nearly slipped when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he was thinking about, so as you said, he's come through the process. So he actually began that psalm basically saying, don't worry, (laughs) I I haven't lost it. But I'm just sharing with you my thought process so that we could come through the process with him.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's important to realize that um, um, they they value the process. And yes. uh, we, we all have to start somewhere, and we certainly yes. don't start where we're going to finish. And uh, one other comment, based off of uh, you made a comment that they were uh, you. We always looked at them separately. Part of that, I think, comes too from the fact that we sing a lot of hymns based off of mm-hmm. these. So they're just individual they're just individual psalms that we sing for mm-hmm. hymns. It's been fascinating that you've been able to point out that they just their arrangement they flow together. Like there's a section of one, two, or three that just naturally come to yes. you, flow together yes. several yes. times actually.
0: And I think sometimes when you, we just sing them, uh, they may sound like really happy psalms, but when you actually read it in context, God is furious. And, and, you know, it's like, so I think reading line by line really is important. And I think to your point as well, as you were talking about emotion and, and you know, their, their transparency, uh, there, there's this dual nature to the psalms where, you know, they have suffered catastrophe and they are lamenting. But there's a prophetic tone to the psalms that, that although they've suffered tribulation – they're looking ahead. And as as God's people, particularly Judah, go through the Great Tribulation, the Psalms are there to instruct us in in how to lament in a godly way. And mm-hmm. I, I like to think of the scriptures as, as time-released capsules, that you can have the capsule, you could even swallow the capsule, but it 's not the the potency has not been released yet, you know this part of it will be released in two hours another i 'm not really sure exactly how these things work, but you know part in two hours, another part in four mm-hmm. hours, another part in six hours, so it's released over time and I think there's just a lot of um, hidden gems in the psalms that as we move into the dark future uh, these the, the light of the psalms will shine brightly
1: absolutely and you covered in a sermon um, uh, several weeks back the the um, Progression in the different levels, uh, that, uh, that the, the church in Israel and, uh, the Gentiles go through and how there's, there's different stages of, of God's plan. And I think, um, uh, as you mentioned, a, a lot of these lamentations will, will be much more meaningful, much more so than two two or three generations ago. The great Psalms two or three generations ago. Yes. But they'll come, they'll come alive a little bit more. And quite frankly, uh, uh the fact that we're doing this just before November third, I, I, I think is uh really important for God's people to really uh get a grasp of these because uh either way, whatever way the election goes, there's gonna be chaos. I think we yeah. can I think we can see that. And uh, God's people don't have to worry. And this the Psalms yes. are a great uh a great testament to that.
0: Great, great point. Great great point. I'm just seeing some comments here on um youtube and facebook and please brethren go ahead and type in your comments or questions in youtube uh, or facebook or on cgi.online.church and uh, let's just see here curtis uh curtis brady welcome and uh, arctic owl says good evening and then uh sister vida confirms that you're right uh, it is a sister and it's about 11:40 a.m in ghana how about that that's just wow. amazing
1: we do have a question uh, on the okay. uh, Church Online about Psalms. It's uh, from uh, Sister J D. Uh, the Psalms do not claim to be divine revelation; they claim human authors. How should this affect our relationship to the Psalms?
0: So, can you just uh, repeat it again?
1: Yep. The the Psalms do not claim to be divine revelation; they claim human authors. Uh, how should this affect our relationship to the Psalms?
0: Yeah. I would say that um, you know the book of Revelation. Uh, authored by by John or penned by John, clearly begins saying that this is revelation from God the Father, given to Christ, sent by an angel to the Apostle John. So we know that this book is direct revelation from God. Um, There are um, prophets that say, you know, this is the burden they receive from the Lord. But the Bible is made up of, or made by, or written by human authors under divine inspiration and the book of psalms is no different the fact that it has been canonized uh, we know that the, and and the fact that jesus christ when he was on earth he quoted from it so heavily and he didn't say oh you know skip skip book three of of, of, of psalms you know it wasn't written by david uh he just quoted heavily from the psalms uh so it clearly shows that the whole bible is written by men with different personalities. It's like, you know, um, Pastor Murray, you have a personality that's very different from mine, uh, but the Holy Spirit is one spirit. And so, you know, you're inspired to speak on a certain topic, and let's say that God inspired you to, that, knowing that this would be canonized later, so your sermon or your letter would be canonized. Maybe there's a letter that I wrote that would be canonized. And so these different authors in different periods of time on different continents all inspired by God so that the whole thing creates one cohesive narrative it's 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 um it's not put in a linear fashion so a a carnal person will pick it up and say yeah I read the Bible it's full of nonsense but somebody who hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness is going to stay with it and stay with it and God will slowly open it up to us And the whole thing makes sense, and we can understand this divine thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you make a good point um, with the the narrative that runs um, like a a scarlet thread right from beginning to end. Uh, um, And given the the number of years and continents and authors and countries, all those sorts of differentiators, and the fact that the Bible tells one solid story uh, certainly speaks to um, God's hand
0: for sure uh, and, and for me for me, the book of Isaiah is sort of the acid test from Genesis to Revelation I see Isaiah as like the great switchboard and everything needs to go through and come back out of Isaiah and so if, if something is div- claiming to be divinely inspired for example the Quran uh, and and it doesn't line up with the book of Isaiah I, I toss it out I have no, I have no time for it uh, so everything, I can see the entire book of Psalms lining up perfectly with Isaiah. And so to me, Isaiah is the acid test.
1: Yeah, and uh, uh, I know we covered the second Isaiah, the, uh, the the back third. And we at some point, we were going back to the, the uh, first two thirds, uh, first Isaiah. Yes. But, um, yeah. Uh, for those who uh, missed that, for sure, go back into the archives. Uh, we have some time now over the next few weeks uh, while we're on hiatus, and definitely, uh, definitely catch up on some of those. Uh, we have had comments on how uh, impactful those uh, studies on Isaiah have been to some of the other other members.
0: Very, very good. Our brother uh, Gary from the UK says good evening. So uh, that's quite late for him. Great, great that you could join us, brother.
1: Yes. Hey, Gary.
0: Um, so any questions on the um, church online no, not online uh, just
1: church. the just the one we covered um, yeah. yeah just the ones we covered so far.
0: Um, I'd wonder if you there was an email that came in with some questions, and sure. um, maybe we could comment on that.:
1: Sure, yeah, so there's a couple of questions here. we can take some time to go through these. Uh, from uh, brother, uh, Jeff. Out sorry, of Ohio. Just, just
0: while you're doing that, uh, sorry, yep. brother. Um, again, brethren, while we're covering this question, uh, I think there's a couple of questions in the email. Um, please go ahead and feel free to ask any questions that you have so that uh, when we come out of this question, uh, we can address any additional questions or comments that you have.
1: So, uh, yeah, so uh, our brother Jeff out of Ohio uh, asks a couple of questions. The first one is related to the Azazo goat. Yeah, uh, on atonement and he makes a, a bit of a preface here In trying to grasp the concept behind the meaning of the two goats. I looked at a number of sources and there's some debate as to its meaning. Some say both goats are representative of Christ. Some say the wandering goat is representative of the devil who wanders into darkness. Others say it's the guilt part of sin. Um, just And he just wanted our thoughts on, on where we fall on the uh, identity of the Azazel goat.
0: Um, maybe I can, uh, yeah, go ahead and kick off. Comment a little bit, and then you can you can uh, take over from there. Um, I I have heard the argument, and some people make very strong argument, uh, emotionally strong, uh, or they feel convicted that uh, the Azazel uh, represents Christ, that both goats um, represent Christ. Uh, one goat represents the sacrifice. Uh, the other goat represents the fact that all you know he takes the sins away. Uh, from mankind. Um, I don't agree with that. I I think it's clear to me as I read the the passage, Leviticus 16, that one goat is for the Lord, meaning the other is not. Uh, And and that really lines up with um, Revelation 20. And maybe we could just uh, go there. Let me... uh, If you line up Revelation 16, um, Leviticus 16 with Revelation 20, we see here in verse 1 is this angel representing the fit man uh, coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So you see here the symbolism of Leviticus 16 and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. That he should, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be finished. So that's a direct parallel with what we read in terms of the symbolism in Leviticus 16. And if we drop down to the bottom part of Revelation 20, so Satan is released after the thousand years, and then in verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are And they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. So we see this destruction of the source of evil. And that's what the Azazel uh, to me represents, is the source of sin. And uh, being removed, when when the at one moment, when God's people are reconciled with God, the source of their evil is taken away. And um, let me just do this as well. I was just looking now. um, Actually, let me just share this. Give me one moment. I'll just uh, expand that. But I just want to look for something else in the process. Uh, give me one moment here. Give me one moment. I just wanted to find something else. No. Um, so let me just expand this. This is the, uh, the Jewish encyclopedia And you'll see here that, uh, you know, it says the the personification of evil. Far from involving the recognition of Azazel as a deity, the sending of the goat was, as stated by the Nachmanides, 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 a symbolic expression of the idea that the people's sins and their evil consequences were to be sent back to the spirit of desolation and ruin, the source of all impurity. So it goes on to say that the two goats were presented before the Lord. One was sacrificed, the other was sent into the wilderness. It was proof that Azazel was not ranked with Yahweh or Yehovah, but regarded simply as the personification of wickedness in contrast with the righteous government of Jehovah. And it goes on there and then here he's the leader of the rebellious angels. Uh, this is confirmed by the Book of Enoch, which brings Azazel, into connection with the biblical story of the fall of the angels, located obviously in accordance with ancient folklore, it goes on to talks about that. But the Jews um, clearly saw um, the Azazel as as a demonic spirit in the wilderness, and I think in Leviticus it talks about them worshiping demons from the wilderness. Also, if you you know the Book of Enoch, it we don't it's not canonized, but if we uh, just were to look at this here um, with the uh, Book of Enoch. Let me just look at this. You'll see here. This is this is uh, Enoch. It's not a, it's not canonized, but the Book of Enoch is extra biblical, and I believe uh, it was it is referred to in the Bible. And here in chapter ten of Enoch, he says, "Then said the Most High, the Great and Holy One, Uriel, go to the son of Lamech." Uh, uh, goes on to tell him my name. Hi, let me just read this. Uh, where is I looking? And again, the Lord said to Raphael, one of the angels, bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the darkness and split open the desert, which is in Dudael, and cast him in and fill the hole by covering him with rough and jagged rocks and cover him with darkness and let him live there forever and ever and cover his face that he may not see the light. So it goes on and on. There's multiple references to Azazel uh, in the book of Enoch. And all of them refer to Azazel as a wicked demonic spirit and the source of wickedness, the source of impurity, the source of evil. These books were extant uh, when when the scriptures were being written, and they even refer to the Book of Enoch. And they don't say, well, you know, apart from the part where they're calling God evil. Uh, You know, I'm referring to the Book of Enoch, but you know, there's a part in there where they're calling God evil. Don't don't go with that. They just refer to the Book of Enoch. Uh, and so clearly the Jews would have this understanding that Azazel was wickedness and the source of wickedness. Uh, and and, and the, the New Testament is written within the context of Jewish culture. So that's how I would uh, address that, Pastor Murray.
1: Mm-hmm. A couple other, really, really uh, impactful for sure. And I completely agree with uh, the points that you made. Uh, a couple other uh, points that I noticed when I was going through Leviticus 16 um, and one of the points I made note of was the one you've already addressed. One is for the Lord. Uh, if they were both for the Lord, it would have been made clear. But right. it was very clear one was for the Lord and the other is not. not. Um, and when we go through the, the the handling of each of the goats, there's, there's actually some significant differences that are important to, to note. Number one, the goat of sin, the goat for the Lord, was, was killed so that his blood may be sprinkled on the mercy seat to make atonement for sin the the azazel goat had this the iniquities so so that's important i'll get to that in a second Mm -hmm. laid on his head and when you look up the hebrew word for laid it's pressed so there's some there's some force and pressure um that is put on that goat's head uh uh, and that that there's a connotation in that word for laying Mm -hmm. them on his head um and interestingly enough, when we go back to our brother Jan's message on this past Sabbath, and then uh, some of his messages last or a couple of years ago that talk about the three dimensions of sin—sin, sin, transgression, and iniquity. Um, um, sin, and, and he talked on last Sabbath about unintentional sin, and how, uh, and then obviously iniquities is the level that you're just you're just so willful and so evil on the inside. There, there's there's uh, no no uh, recompense for that type of sin. Mm-hmm. It's interesting mm-hmm. that the goat for the Lord had transgression and sin. He was to atone for the transgression and sins of the people. But, he, but what was placed on the head of the Azazel goat was iniquity, transgression, and sin. Uh, and then he was shunned off into into the, the wilderness. And it wasn't even the priest that took him out there, much like what we read in, in uh, Revelation 20. It was, it was uh, someone that could escort right. the goat out and the as i i did do some reading on it that um, uh the the assembly was to keep its eye on that goat cuz the goat had um, the the ribbon around its horns to identify it as different from That's the right
0: cuz you couldn't tell by that, looking
1: yeah the the goat for the lord had the ribbon around the neck the goat for the azazel had the ribbon around the horns so if it ever came back they were to throw stones at it and keep it and cast it out and make sure it uh, it left the assembly so uh there's yeah, so Logistically, it's definitely
0: an alienation eaten. from that goat. They want nothing to do with it.
1: Yes, yes. So okay. hopefully that, uh, uh, we can go into a lot more detail, but uh, hopefully that helps uh, our brother Jeff uh, on that particular question.
0: Very good. And then uh, there's a question here uh, from Sister, uh, I, I think it's Vita. Um, briefly explain the themes in Psalm 119. So we will get to Psalm 119, I believe that's book um, but did you want to maybe just comment briefly on that uh, yeah sure uh, so um, Psalm
1: 119 is, is a rather detailed look into God's law um, it's, it's made up of an, it's, uh, it's an acrostic psalm there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and if you notice it's each, each section is separated into its Hebrew letter and that means the first letter of each line is, begins with that letter so it's a very systematic psalm and it just goes into, uh, um, David's, David's awe and deep appreciation of God's law. And he comes, he comes out and explains God's law in so many different ways as, you know, uh, testimony, precepts, statutes, judgments, his word. Um, and, and each, each, each description of God's law that he uses, um, uh, just adds an, uh, adds a descriptive element to it. So we come to some, deep appreciation that it's not a set of rules uh, uh, that this ogre is sitting up on his throne uh, waiting for us to break but it's just a beautiful right way to live and David after uh, not sure where he when he wrote it in his life but it certainly seems he wrote it perhaps later on in life because there's some uh, deep level of maturity that uh, that he came he came to a deep uh, respect and awe not just of God's law, but then subsequently his relationship with God and his, his love for God. Um, Perhaps you can uh, uh, comment and add to that.
0: No, I I think that's great. As I say, we will get to Psalm 119 Mm -hmm. and just see the, uh, as you say, the the beauty and strength of the law and not to treat it as this uh, onerous burden that uh, we want nothing to do with. So that's great.
1: We do have uh, three more questions. So, um, we have a second question from our brother from Ohio uh, on uh, the sacred name issues. Uh, uh, he goes to some length, but I'll just sort of kind of break that, to summarize it here. Um, so he listened to the Atonement Service, and I made mention of the Third Commandment, uh, which I'll, I can touch on briefly. Uh, and then his his studies into folks that uh, uh, use uh, sacred names, either Yeshua or Yahweh or Yeshua HaMashiach, or any of the other Jehovah Nisi, those sorts of sacred names, and just wanted our experience and our, our perspective on the use of sacred names.
0: Um, yeah, so maybe I'll just lead off on this one. Uh, I think it's beautiful to uh, you know we don't really know the exact pronunciation of uh, you know the um, God's name. Uh, the Jews are afraid to say it. Uh, we believe it could be Yahweh or it could be Yah- Yehovah uh, we' not we don't know the exact pronunciation. Uh, Yah for short uh, the psalm show that at least we know that uh, is his name. Um, we do know Jesus Christ's name in Hebrew uh, Yeshua HaMersiah. Uh so this is the Hebrew name but you know some, I think the people who, who follow this sacred names doctrine so first of all they have this sort of um, high, high regard for the Hebrew language. They they think it's the pure language. You know, it's the original language. And I think right there is where you get into trouble. Uh, The Hebrew language is not a pure language. Uh, If you study Hebrew, it's a very messy language. Uh, And it's a a language that evolved uh, from the ancient Sumerians. It's the ancient Sumerians that brought the alphabet uh, or or where we see the first alphabet, written alphabet, and then you see the evolution from Sumeria ultimately into Hebrew, and then ultimately into Greek, and then and then English. So you can actually you can actually see the evolution of the alphabet uh, into into Hebrew, and then on from Hebrew. So when we study the actual language of Hebrew, <laughs> this is not a pure language. So I think people who haven't studied Hebrew, uh, they can very, just very quickly fall into this. Oh, Hebrew is the magical perfect language, uh, and it's not. It's a very flawed language. Um, and it's, it's, it's nowhere near as robust and as precise as the Greek language. Uh, and you see with Hebrew being very good in sort of handling concrete things. You Think of Leviticus 16. Uh, you know, Hebrew is very good at handling this sort of thing. Whereas you look at the concepts that the Apostle John wanted to portray. Uh, and the Greek language is so robust. It's, it's, it's an evolution from Hebrew. Uh, and it's much more conceptual and much more precise. And it's, it's no wonder that, you know, the way things worked where, you know, the Romans, um, you know, they took the, you know, the uh, sorry, Alexander the Great spread this Greek language all over the world. And, and with it, this sort of high level conceptual thinking that came from the Greek philosophers. And that's why the language was so robust to handle this very profound level of thinking that just suddenly burst out of the, the ancient Greeks. Uh, Then the Romans came along, and they were so enamored with the Greek culture that they adopted it and and continued to spread it around the world. But what they also did was pave roads. They wanted all the taxes to come to Rome, so they paved roads all over the world. Along comes the uh, rabbi Paul, Saul, Shaul. He comes along, speaks perfect Hebrew, speaks perfect Greek, is educated in all the... the, the, uh, um, uh, pharisaical understanding of, 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 of the Torah uh, but is also educated in, in Greek philosophy and Greek poetry and Greek culture uh, is perfectly trilingual um, and then he's a Roman citizen and so now he's armed with the power of the gospel to take it to the Gentiles and to speak to them in very profound ways with a very robust language and, and when he's speaking to them he doesn't interrupt himself and force himself to call uh, Christ, uh, you know, Isis Christus. He doesn't stop and and switch to Hebrew. When the revelation came to St. John, uh, it, it doesn't come to him in Hebrew. He captures it in Greek. And so there's this healthy regard that God in his revelation has for the robustness of the Greek language. It's a more powerful language than the Hebrew language. Uh, so I, I think that the, the, we have to sort of start there, that we have to acknowledge that when the pure language comes, it won't be Hebrew. God is very, very practical. The man that he chose spoke a certain language. And so God communicated with him in that language. If he had spoken another language, God wouldn't, God wouldn't be speaking to him in Hebrew because he'd be speaking another language. And then the culture that he was in, you look at how Deuteronomy is written The structure of the Deuteronomic Deuteronomic text, the structure of it, is laid out like Canaanite contractual language. So so Moses was well-educated in the time, and that's how he wrote. It's like us today, when we sit down to write a letter, there's a culture, there's a way of writing letters, there's a way of writing emails, that if God was revealing revelation to us today, we would... Just use these. God is very practical. We would use the tools today. You know, Paul used letters. That was the technology of the time. If Paul was alive today, he'd be on social media. And there's a way of communicating on social media. It doesn't make social media divine, it makes it practical. So uh, I, I think it's important that we, we honor God, we worship God, we give him all the regard. But um, God Himself, under, the, under inspiration of men, allows for the translation of Jesus Christ's name from Hebrew to Greek. I think that alone should tell us something. And, and when, when we, we are persecuted, so God willing, we, we are honored to be persecuted for Christ. But uh, he, uh, Matthew 24, Christ says, You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's not, that's not oh, I can say his name in Hebrew. That's why I'm going to be persecuted. It's much more deep than that. It's very profound. It's a very rich understanding of what it means what what is his name what does it mean what are the implications of it and we are teaching that very very clearly and it's it, it, it's in, it's intertwined with the gospel and it's because of this profound understanding of the power of his name that we teach as part of the gospel this is what drives the nations crazy and causes causes us to be hated
1: yeah great comments uh pastor Adrian for sure uh completely agree um, even so far as, as Paul, uh, Paul borrowed, as, as you've rightly taught, um, Paul borrowed from Greek philosophy the concept of logos and tied that to right. Jesus Christ, uh, to, to convey, uh, uh, hit one of his roles. Um, so, uh, just on that, that example alone. Uh, the other thing I would, act, I would add, sorry, go ahead.
0: I just say that's a great example because we think logos is divinely, Inspired and starts with the New Testament. Logos was around for hundreds of years and it was a well used Greek philosophical concept that Paul just grabbed and repurposed it.
1: And he said, You know, when I'm in Rome, I speak as the Romans do. When I'm here, I speak as they do. And uh, he, he uh, was very adaptable, as you said, because he was so educated. Even to the point on Mars Hill, he said, "Okay, you want to talk about an unknown God? Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about. I'll tell you about the unknown God." Uh, the other point I wanted to make too, uh, which is, uh, even if you're into sacred names, and even if you find value in sacred names, for me, the value is in what in what they mean. Because in John 17, we were told that to know the Father is eternal life. And as these names were being revealed, they weren't really, be- in my opinion, they weren't being revealed. So that we could call him that, they were being revealed, so we knew who he was. That he was the Lord of Hosts, or he was the Lord who heals, or he is the Lord uh, who is my banner, or he is the 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 uh, the ever-present one. Um, um, so to, it's really uh, rather than being commanded, it's more descriptive because they really allow us to know who the Father is. That would be. Uh,
0: yeah. So as so I would say to, to our brethren who um, have strong opinion on sacred names, you know, um, God bless you for wanting mm-hmm. to, you know, use the Hebrew names of God. Uh, I think this is wonderful. It becomes problematic if we, you begin to impose this on others. I, I think you you would run into trouble with the Apostle Paul. If you were in his congregations, telling the Ephesians, telling the Galatians, you have to speak the name in Hebrew, uh, I think you would come up with very strong opposition with the Apostle Paul. But I think if you were in amongst his congregations, and and when you worshipped, you used the Hebrew names, I don't think Paul would have any problem with that. He himself would probably go back and forth.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, I, I learn a lot from those folks who, who uh, use the sacred names. We, we certainly allow it in our congregation. We don't, we don't uh, disallow it, uh, but it's certainly not an imposition either way. And even in my private prayers, I will, I will refer to, to uh, sometimes to some of, some of the names. So,
0: we'll I, mean, I, do, I do think as well, Pastor Murray, that in our preaching the gospel, uh, it can be very effective for some of us to be very familiar with Hebrew and to be able to reason with the Jews uh, around the Hebrew meaning of, of names and, and, and uh, certain passages uh, I think this can be very powerful so for those brethren who are so inclined uh, to take time to actually study the language uh, I think that would be very helpful and I think that when you study Hebrew you'll see it's a flawed language it cannot possibly be the pure language again God is very practical um, but yeah this is great and uh, Sister Beda says, our God can use any language to fulfill his mission. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has chosen these people. Um, and, and then he's advanced his, his, his teaching using uh, the, the, the language of the day. The, the, again, God is very practical. The lingua franca, when Christ came, uh, was Greek. The whole world spoke Greek. Today the lingua, 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 lingua franca is English. You can't, if you fly a plane, you can't land in any airport in the world if you don't speak English. Uh, So if God was, you know, moving and showing divine revelation today, you know, maybe the the next few books in the Bible, if they were being written, they'd be in English. Uh, Part of the Bible is in Aramaic because that was the lingua franca of the time of Daniel. So very, very good.
1: And you know Christianity wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for uh, uh, Gutenberg and the printing press and the King James Bible and and uh, um, anyway I think we've, we've got, and there's been some positive, uh, uh, thanks to uh, us for some of these answers I do have two more questions here I don't know if you have any more on your side but you
0: uh, I do have one question it. yeah okay it's a long it's ahead. a longer one
1: um... okay so I've got a couple of smaller ones um um. Let's see, it's from uh, uh, Hope Springs. Uh, Psalm 23 is probably the most popular reading at funerals. Does using Psalm 23 for this reason, for funerals take us away from its original intent and how ancient Israel used it?
0: Uh, Great question. Um, I think that uh, the question reminds me of um, 1 Corinthians 15, which uh, is often read at weddings. Uh, And and when we we read it in uh, context, it has nothing to do with weddings. Uh, so I think same with Psalm 23. I think it can be um, something that is just read in isolation uh, at a funeral. It's very comforting, um, but it is not in keeping with the original intent, which is for us to understand. I think um, what I'm getting from the Psalms is the power of cassette, the cassette, the power of God's covenant love, and the psalmist's, Regardless of the wickedness of the nation, the psalmist having this great confidence that they can rely on this uh, unmerited pardon, unmerited mercy, this, this, this covenant commitment that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe has to Israel and the fact that they are in the part of the Israel covenant, that they can always go back to that. And they can have absolute conf- rock solid confidence in that. And as we go into the future, the dark future, as there's, the tables are turning here and the season is changing, as we go into that, I think it's very powerful. Uh, it's going to be a, very powerful for us to have this same understanding that the psalmists had of how committed God is to Israel. And that it doesn't matter how far Israel strays, as long as they repent, they can come back. And when we read the writings of Moses, when we read the Torah, and we read through the Psalms, and we read the Prophets, uh, it's like God's people stray as far as it is from him as possible. And yet, because of his cassette, because of his covenant commitment, he brings them back. He punishes them in in the most severe way, but he doesn't let go of them. And as they lament and truly repent, he brings them back. And so I think absolutely, uh, if we just... You know, quote Psalm 23 for comfort at a funeral, uh, we can actually really lose the plot.
1: And that's uh, a message that uh, you've been saying uh, from, from the very start, uh, um, in, from the very start of all of these uh, line-by-line studies, and that's really context. Um, we certainly can learn by pulling A-verse out, but we certainly don't have the full understanding of, of, of uh, where it fits in the narrative and, and its impact on us if we simply uh, uh, text, uh, you know, select texts. And, and, uh, uh, I made a comment here. I, I made a note in my, in my hey, notes hey, here. Sorry, just, you...
0: just before you just yeah. great, sorry, before we go there, Pastor Murray. Uh, so just Amy, on the same, just as we leave sacred names, she says she likes to use the names Yahweh and Yeshua uh, because it's his name, great, but have also used God and Jesus when conversing with those who are not familiar with the Hebrew names. My name is Adrian. Your name is Murray. So she'll call me that and not John, which is not um, my name. True. But um, I have Italian brethren uh, who call me Adriano, you know, because in in Italian, Adrian is Adriano. Uh, That is my name in Italian. And the revelation, the revelator, uh, John, he wrote uh, the issue Christus. Uh, In Greek, the Revelation, the book of Revelation is in Greek and Christ's name is not in Hebrew in the book of Revelation. So Christ is allowing his name to be spoken in Greek. So Adrian is Adriano in Italian. It's still my name. So I think that's that's the point that we're making here. And, And sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, excellent point. Uh, you know, we've got a, friend, a brother in Newfoundland that call me Maury. And uh, uh, it's, you know, uh, absolutely agree for sure. So uh, just back to Psalm 23, just for a quick point before we leave this um, uh, and your comment on cassette. I made a note uh, in my Bible when you were going through it that uh, you, made the, you made the point that Christ's God is our God and we are simply not forsaken. Uh, God, God will not forsake us. Uh, and I right think uh, said and his covenant love is, is uh, a theme that runs uh, front to back through Psalms.
0: And, and I think Psalm 23 really captures that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like a microcosm of the Psalms for sure. Right.
0: So did you have a question? Cause I have a lengthy question
1: here. I have one more uh, and it's a really, uh, it'll be a bit of a, just a quick review you can provide uh, again from our brother, Jeff in uh, Ohio. Uh, he's uh, new to our studies. So he's not as up to speed as our longtime viewers. And uh, if you could just provide a, a, a quick recap on the divisions between Jews, church, and end time Israel. Uh, he understands that Judah was a small part of the greater 12 tribes, and I understand later saints are grafted into Israel. Uh, can you elaborate? And, uh, just before you do, what I'll do, uh, Jeff, I do have your email address. I'll drop you a few sermons that, uh, we've given here in this area, and maybe that can also, uh, give you some things to, uh, uh, study and, and it elaborate on in in a little bit more than what uh, adrian can do here in the next couple of minutes
0: yes i think just in a nutshell thanks for the question in a nutshell what i would say is when we read the scripture particularly the torah we see that god is the creator of the universe and we also see that he's the god of all mankind he's the god of all the children of adam he's the god of all mankind until genesis 12 and then something very special happens in genesis 12 where it's like a sudden sharp right turn and, and all of mankind is asked to get off the bus and only Abraham stays on the bus so from Genesis 12 forward God is no longer the God of all mankind mankind has rebelled against him Abraham obeyed him in such a way that it, it impressed him and Abraham became his friend and he became the God of Abraham and then Abraham had a son Isaac, son of covenant, he became the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then Isaac had another son of covenant, which was Jacob. So God became not the God of all mankind, but forever he will now be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will be the God of Israel forever and ever and ever. He will be glorified in Israel forever and ever and ever. He is not the God of the Gentiles. From When this covenant is made with Abraham and ultimately passed down to Israel, to to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he's the God of Israel, period. He'll be glorified in Israel, period. He has no relationship, no covenant with the Gentile nations. For the Gentiles now to have a relationship with God, they have to come to and through Israel. So uh, God is the husband of, of Israel, he's married to Israel he's in this covenant, this, this uh, eternal covenant relationship with Israel um, Israel coming down to uh, King Solomon through to David, to King Solomon uh, the, the, the nation split after King Solomon and the northern tribes went with uh, King Jeroboam uh, the southern tribes stayed with Solomon's line with Rehoboam and so the, the nation split in two, the northern kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, the Northern Kingdom is known as the Kingdom of Israel, the Southern Kingdom known as the Kingdom of Judah. The Southern Kingdom includes Benjamin, so Judah and Benjamin, a bit of Simeon, and also some of mo- most of the Levites so it's not just Judah, but they're all mixed together and they're called jews that's the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom then are the the Northern tribes, and uh, they are referred to in the Bible as either Israel. Um, or um, Ephraim. Ephraim was the most dominant tribe, and the same way that Judah was the most dominant tribe in the south, Ephraim was the most dominant tribe in the north, so some of the passages or the prophecies refer to Ephraim, but they're referring to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was so rebellious, so adulterous, so idolatrous, that God divorced them. God said, that's it, it's over, and he divorced them. They were just they were just. Uh, horrible. He remained in covenant with Judah. And that goes back to the prophecy that Jacob had with his sons, that the scepter would remain in Judah. But he remained married to Judah. Even though he said, you know what? I divorced the northern tribes because of their evil. And then he looks at Judah and he says, Judah saw what happened to Israel, saw that I divorced her, saw that the Assyrians came in and, and wiped them out. And they saw that and Judah's evil was worse than Ephraim's. So, so even though Judah was more evil than Israel, God did not divorce Judah because of Kassed, that the covenant had to remain in Judah so that ultimately all Israel will be saved. So this is now that the northern tribes have been divorced, they've been scattered, they've been lost. They, they don't know who they are. They think that they're Gentiles but God knows who they are. The covenant remains with the Jews. So the Jews keep the Torah, they keep the holy days, they keep the covenant. The covenant is with the Jews, but the Jews, Christ came to his own, but they rejected him. Not all, but most. The church actually was Jewish when it was established. There were no Gentiles in the church when it was established. So God came to his own. The majority of them rejected him. Because of the hardness of their heart, God says, I'm still going to go forward with my plan, but I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to blind the Jews, according to the prophecy given to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. I'm going to blind the Jews from this truth. So they will not even know who who I am. And instead, I'm going to open this glorious covenant to the Gentiles and allow the Gentiles to be grafted into Judah. So we are now grafted in as spiritual Jews. We, we, we've inherited the promises as, as if we were genetically born Jews. So we're now grafted into the covenant as Gentiles. So we're, no longer, we're grafted in. We're part of the commonwealth now. And in doing this, while God is bringing in these Gentiles, what he's also doing is bringing back Israel. They think they're Gentiles. Many, many of the uh, church Uh, People in the covenant now who are grafted in are actually genetically Israelites, but they don't know that. But it doesn't matter because God's opened this big door. It's kind of like a blunt instrument uh, called the the opportunity for the Gentiles to come in. He brings in the Gentiles, the purpose of the Gentiles, which we forget because of Protestantism and anti-Semitism with people like Martin Luther. uh, We forget that our purpose is to provoke the Jews to jealousy. We're supposed to be preaching the gospel in such a way that the Jews are wondering, how did this happen? And they, they should be going back into their Torah, going back into their scriptures to say, how come these people understand so much and, 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 and they're Gentiles? Instead, we've run off and, you know, started to worship Baal with Christmas and Easter and Valentine's Day and all of this nonsense. The Jews look at us and say, OK, they, don't, they have no idea what the Bible says. But our purpose as Gentiles being grafted in is to provoke the Jews to jealousy and ultimately when the tribulation comes to be among those who have understanding and who are able to speak the truth to the Jews to say to them behold to say to the cities of Judah behold your god so they know who to look for as their messiah and to say to the gentiles warning 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 you've been warned we are witnesses against you that you've been warned that these are the people of god this is the these are the covenant people you should not touch them so when they persecute the Jews and Christ returns, they will have no excuse. We will say, no, we preach the gospel to the whole world. And then the end came. And, and the tribes of the earth, the Gentiles, who are not grafted in, every single one of them will come against Jerusalem. And they will, they will be in great mourning and horror. They will be in panic, horror, and, and just uh, beside themselves with grief when Jesus Christ returns. The Jews, on the other hand, who through the tribulation have been driven to deep repentance, they're going to rejoice when Christ returns. And we will be, we, the um, First Fruits Church, we will be uh, you know, taken with him up in the air, converted into spirit beings to join the family of God, to oversee the operation on the earth and to make the earth right. And the earth is right when Judah and Israel are one, physical human beings. All the tribes of Israel come back together. They're made one. And the rest of the Gentile earth acknowledges that God is the God of Israel. God is the God of Jacob. And all over the world, they will be looking for Jews to say, let us come with you to Zion so that we can learn from you and we can worship your God. And they'll be restoring all the wealth to these physical people. While the church will be in the family, spirit born family of God, overseeing this operation side by side with Jesus Christ, as we help the Jews and the rest of the Israel tribes who will be in the position we're in now. We have the Holy Spirit, we can understand, we can teach, but we're still physical human beings. Well, when Christ returns, we'll be with him in his family. And these physical Jews and physical Israelites will have the Holy Spirit. Joel says the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. They'll be prophesying, they'll be teaching, and they'll be instructing the whole Gentile world on this great truth. So hopefully you know, in a very kind of summarized, very condensed way, uh, that's, that's the storyline.
1: Yeah, nothing to add to that. Thank you for that. Uh, and I certainly hope that uh, helps uh, our brother uh, with his question.
0: Okay, so there's a question here, brother, from Harold Crow. Greetings, brother Harold. Greetings from Iowa, Sackville, Nova Scotia. How are you different from other churches? What are your doctrines? Do you keep God's holy days? Do you want to maybe uh, touch on that one, Pastor Murray? Yes, I just
1: saw that, actually. I was going to provide Harold with uh, my email address, and uh, maybe we can uh, um, have a bit of a longer discussion. Um, So uh, really, I guess to start, uh, how we are different from other churches. So... uh, um, I, why don't I start speaking about what we believe? And that's, you know, uh, you kind of covered it there in the last 10 minutes, uh, a lot of what we believe. But, um, um, you know, God has a plan and God created man, uh, uh, to share his glory with him and man turned his back on God in the Garden of Eden. And from there, um, uh, and we can see that in Genesis 3, uh, there, uh, there's a plan of redemption that God will redeem man through Israel, that he's made a covenant with Israel, and it is through Israel that, um, um, is first of all Israel, and then anyone after that, as you so, so, uh, succinctly described, will have a chance at redemption. Um, and, um, he made a covenant with Abraham, um, in Genesis 12 to select a family through whom he would work. Called that Israel, and again I'm kind of repeating a little bit what you said. And uh, the the law that he has has given mankind, his law that he provided of, from right from the beginning at creation, and made part of his covenant that he made with Israel. What was not or uh, is an eternal law that has always existed. He codified it for Israel, and it made it part of the covenant uh, uh, for God's people that that if we keep His law. We would would, uh, uh, receive uh, the covenant blessings, and we would uh, from God as He outlines in His law. And if we we contravene and contradict His law, we would be subject to the covenant curses, as as said. Now, the the, the plan of God is made manifest through annual holy days. There's two sets of worship, two, two types of worship days that we keep. We keep the weekly Sabbath. From sunset on Friday through sunset on the seventh day uh, we call it in, in this world we call it Saturday it's really the Sabbath and then the annual holy days and it is it is uh, um, through through uh, th- those those uh, and those appointed times of worship the weekly times of worship and the, the annual times of worship that we have the plan of God that uh, he will redeem mankind through uh, Jesus Christ uh, our Lord and Savior that came down to to uh, do what Israel couldn't do and that is to live the co- to live the covenant in a perfect way and qualify to to be the king of kings and lord of lords and to take my uh, and in in rather than take on that kingship right away what he did was he sacrificed uh, his life so that um, uh, Israel would have a chance at redemption um, and we see that played out through the uh, what people would call the Jewish holy days found in Leviticus 23. And they're not the Jewish holy days. As God says, they're my holy days. And, and, um, those appointed times were set aside uh, back in in the creation account. Uh, so uh, the gift that God has given mankind, um, um, uh, the doctrines, uh, Harold, uh, we can go uh, quite deeper. Um, um, you know, God is God is, is a family. He's not, it's not He's He's not a a closed uh, and enclosed Trinity. Uh, but He's he, there's a Godhead currently made up of the Father and the Son. Uh, but it is an open Godhead through and as Pastor Adrian uh, just uh, walked through a, a, a few minutes ago, um, um, there are uh, we as the first fruits will will be part of that uh, God family. Um, when we are resurrected. Um, certainly, uh, um, goes runs much, much deeper than that, Harold. I certainly uh, um, would like to provide you with uh, some contact information. Um, you can actually go on our website, uh, CGICanada.org and track us down. You can track me down. My email is on there. Uh, uh, Pastor Murray Palm is here. Um, And my email is there. I certainly would love to uh, connect with you and uh, maybe provide uh, um, uh, some some interaction to go into a little bit deeper detail. I don't know if you want to add to that, uh, Pastor Adrian. Uh,
0: Maybe just only to say that um, we're different from other churches in the sense that we're not what you would consider. When you think of Christianity, Sunday keeping, Easter, Christmas, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this is what we call um, the Roman influence or the Roman hijacking of Christianity. Um, And what we are, are followers of Torah, followers of the scriptures. Uh, So everything that we believe, our practices, we want them to be rooted solely uh, in the Bible. Uh, I actually have to apologize to Alex, uh, Brother Alex. He asked the the lengthy question, and I meant to come back to it, but I I went to another question. Um, So I'm going to come back to you, uh, Brother Alex. Just give me one moment, because there's a quick question here from Sister Christy. What happened to the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh when God divorced them? Great question. And I would say, nothing. God is the God of his word. That, that is what makes him God. When he declares something, it's going to happen exactly as he declared it. So that, that, those blessings that he declared on Ephraim and Manasseh, he, can't, he would never go back on them. And so that's, I think that's one of the ways that we know, where, where are these nations today? you look for the nations that have been blessed the way God has outlined in, in the scriptures. Now, just because he promised this blessing it doesn't mean you can get away with murder, literally. Ephraim and Manasseh are guilty of murder, literally, breaking every single one of God's laws. So, so both the curses, Moses said in Deuteronomy 30, when all this has come upon you, the blessings and the cursings, so everything that God has pronounced in terms of blessings, okay, this is coming. He's not going to go back on that. But your behavior has activated the curses, and they're coming as well. And so the great tribulation is going to wipe out any sense that these people were ever blessed. But, but I would say it's a great question. Uh, God is a God of His Word, and that's 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 how we can have absolute confidence. There's nothing that God says that we can say. I wonder if He's going to fulfill that. No, He fulfills everything.
1: Just real real quick, there. You, you made a you made a statement over the last couple of weeks that really resonated, uh, and I think it's something that uh, um, the, the, the brethren should should uh, latch onto and. Rather than look at it as, uh, where are the blessings? What we need to, the way we need to describe it, the way you described it is God has activated the covenant curses, which means the covenant is still in effect. Um, that there are no blessings doesn't mean there is no covenant and God said God has stopped his, his covenant. He's simply based off of, off of Israel's choices has been forced to activate the covenant curses.
0: Yeah. Very, very good. It's like, so, so just to maybe, um, simplify this. If I were to say to um, a, a really good friend, hey, look, if you do this thing for me, I'm going to give you a million dollars. But if you do this other thing, then I'm going to burn your house down. Let's just say I say that. I wouldn't say that. But. So the friend actually does both things. He, he does the first thing that I asked. So he's, he deserves the million dollars. But he did the thing that I said, don't do this. So he also deserves to burn his house down. I I think the difference between God and man is, hey, forget what I said about the million dollars. I'm just going to burn your house down because I'm so angry with you right now. God is not like that. It's like, okay, you know what? Your forefather did this thing or you did this thing. You're going to get the million dollars. You're not going to get one dollar less. You're not going to get one penny less. You're going to get the million dollars. But you also did the thing that I said, if you do this thing, I'm going to burn your house down. So you get the million dollars, but your house is also going to be burned down. And, I think and that's since you buried, I think. And,
1: and since you buried it in your basement for a million dollars, <laughs> it would be a good
0: <laughs> very, very good. Uh, okay, there's a lengthy question here, brother. Let me see. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on Psalm 89, verse 37? It will be established forever, like the moon, that faithful witness in the sky. I've heard. Let me, let me just, uh, while we're reading this, I'm going to turn to Psalm 89, and we will be we will be here shortly. So this is. Uh, Good that we have a sense of what will need clarification when we get there. Um, eighty nine, is it eighty nine twenty seven? Eighty nine thirty seven. Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. Eighty nine thirty seven. Let me just uh, put that up on the screen for a second. Eighty nine thirty seven. Let me just remove this. I just want to read, the, read it in the scripture. It shall be established forever like the moon. What shall be? Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His my said, covenant. Go back to verse 34, Adrian. 34. I think you just go back okay. to verse 34. Thanks. My cov- this is just what we were talking about, right? My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out from my lips. So you get the million dollars, but your house is going to get burned down because both these things came out of my lips. So this is great. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Oops. There goes the whole religion of Islam down the drain. It it, it means nothing. The whole one point seven billion people that believe this thing, oops. You believe in Psalms? Read Psalm eighty nine thirty four. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. Okay. But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. Okay. So it goes on to so sort of the, the burning down your house clauses kicking in there. So let's um, go back to this question. Could you elaborate on Psalm 89:37? It will be established forever like the moon, that faithful witness in the sky. I have heard the moon was a type of God's true church, both individually and collectively. The new moon, a type of the church during the dark ages, barely visible in a dark world. The full moon being a type of the church in the end time, when a powerful work of witness and warning was broadcast to the world over radio and television since the 1950s, Also, I heard how the moon, sorry, Brother Alex, it got cut off there. Um, Maybe I'll just, uh, this is great that you've raised this question. When we get to Psalm 89, I believe that's the last psalm in Book 3. So uh, we will be covering that uh, in this section on Book 3. So great that you've raised this. Uh, My initial response to this, just a little bit of context that we've read, is this is uh, where, I don't know where you heard this, but it's not, using scripture to interpret scripture. You know, it's somebody getting very esoteric here, somebody getting very mystical. Uh, it, it, you know, if you take, Psalms, if you take uh, scriptures out of context, you can make them mean anything. Uh, I, just, I just don't see this. I see God basically saying, the same way he said to Jeremiah, if you can destroy the day and the night, then Israel will cease to be a nation before me. But as long as you have the sun and the moon, Uh, Israel will remain a nation before me. So uh, I I think I just just a little bit that I've read here. We we will actually address this in more detail when we get to Psalm 89. But what I've read here is God is saying, look, I will not lie to David, uh, that the moon and the sun and the moon are going to be there. They won't be necessary in Jerusalem because God will be there. So we won't need the light of the sun or the moon in Jerusalem. But the rest of the world will still benefit from the sun and the moon. And they need to know. When to come to Jerusalem for the high holy days, so God is just saying, this is the faithful witness in the sky, and uh, you know certainly the church is not in the sky so i would um, I would reject this outright because I don't see any biblical support for it.
1: yeah, um, and just to further further that, um, the sun and the moon, I think you see this in I think it's psalm eighty one um, but it's it's the the two witnesses as to when a holy time is. The, the, the sun uh, determines when the weekly Sabbath is, and the moon determines when the, the annual Sabbaths are. And uh, uh, appointed times is God's the, the center of worship. As you said, it's important that people know when the weekly Sabbath is and when the the, uh, the uh, annual Sabbaths are. And uh, to, and I'm, sure, I'm looking forward to getting into this a little bit deeper, but um, uh, just the, the per- permanence of those two witnesses really goes to the permanence of the covenant.
0: Right on, right on. So I see um, another uh, question here. Oh, so first of all, uh, Sister Christy uh, thanks us. Great explanation. Mm-hmm. I do
1: have one here as well.
0: So just uh, Sister Vita, there is this argument in most of the churches of God in Ghana that Jesus celebrated only the Last Supper and therefore no need to celebrate the other holidays. I need biblical reference in the New Testament on other feasts apart from the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So this is uh, great. I'll just quickly comment on this. Um, Murray made a statement just a little earlier, and he just said it very quickly in passing, but it's a critical statement that Jesus Christ, he's the Holy One of Israel. He came to earth to do what Israel could not do, and that is to fulfill the requirements of the covenant. So when he was in battle with Satan, and Satan was trying to take him down and take him out, he overcame Satan by simply following Torah. It is written. It is written. It is written again. And man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so Jesus Christ was the living Torah. He was very careful to follow very carefully everything that God laid down so that he would fulfill the requirements of the covenant, and in doing so, he would inherit all the promises of the covenant that were given to Israel that Israel could not fulfill. So in doing this, he now has a righteous claim to all the, all the um, promises given to Israel in the covenant that Israel could not do. He came to do it for Israel. Israel deserves all the curses of the covenant and none of the blessings. Christ deserves all the blessings and none of the curses. But what did Christ do? And I kind of touched on this in my sermon recently called the great exchange. He exchanged his lot for Israel's. He he took all the curses of the law upon himself. And that's why he was that's why he was brutalized and crucified because Israel deserved that. He was innocent. He took Israel's curses upon himself so that with his shed blood if Israel accepts him as their Messiah, they can now inherit all of the promises. They can inherit the land and all the promises that go with the land because Christ, Christ uh, fulfilled the covenant to inherit that forever. Israel can now inherit it forever through this great exchange. So um, I was saying that to say everything in Torah Christ did. And we see that in the battle with Satan. Uh, so just very quickly you see John 7. Clearly, he kept the Feast of Tabernacles. They were looking for him. They knew he keeps the Torah. He's going to be here. But they couldn't find him. But then he, in the middle of the feast, there he was. Um, You know, we see in the the Book of Acts, if you study the Book of Acts, John speaks of the fast. Uh, He speaks of, you know, the count to Pentecost and making sure that he gets to, I think it was Ephesus, uh, in time to keep uh, Pentecost with them. So, so I think, Pastor Murray, you could probably help uh, Sister Vita with, with these references of the Holy Days. But once you know what to look for, they're throughout the New Testament. They're critical, absolutely critical, uh, because, because Christ was faithful. The, the followers of Christ were faithful. In the end time, when the beast is persecuting the true, the, the true followers of Christ, they are known because they keep the commandments of God. They keep Torah. And they have the testimony of Christ. This is this is one of the hallmarks of the, the faithful, the faithful few in the end time.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Acts two itself is the is the entire story of of uh, Pentecost. First uh, Corinthians five uh, goes into detail about the feast on love and bread. Um, and then, actually, gave a message last year on First Corinthians fifteen. The entire chapter is, if you go through the themes of the entire chapter. Uh, Paul, Paul starts out by saying, you want, you want to talk about the gospel? Well, here's the gospel. And he goes through, um, the, the, the lessons from all the holy days beginning in verse, the start of chapter 15, you can actually see as he breaks down, there's the Passover, there's the theme, the lessons of unleavened bread, Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. So yeah, definitely, uh, uh, Sister Vita, if you can uh, reach out to me through the website and, uh, my email address is on there. Uh, it's my name, Murray here at uh, CGIToronto.org. Uh, definitely reach out, and we'll, uh, we'll be in touch.
0: Cool. Uh, Brother Curtis says, great insight. Indeed, glad that he was on. Glad that you can be with us, Brother Curtis. And uh, Brother Alex says, uh, thanks for the explanation. He, he's the one who invited Harold Crow from Nova Scotia to tune into the Bible study tonight. So thank you, Brother Alex. And, and thank you, Harold, for joining us, and and, and appreciate your question.
1: Uh, yeah, I just have one more question here. It's regarding a, mess- as a, a statement you made this past Sabbath that comes from our brother Tom uh, down in the Windsor area. Uh, he says, uh, Pastor Adrian, you mentioned last Sabbath that the temple will be rebuilt before our Messiah returns. He wishes to point out that in Amos 9, verse 11, it mentions the tabernacle of David will be set up in the last days. Also in uh, Second Maccabees, which again is, is not in the canon, but is a historical book. And 2 Maccabees 2, verses 4-8, to mentions how the prophet Jeremiah hid the tabernacle in the cave in Mount Moriah. What are your thoughts and insights on these uh, scriptures?
0: Uh, So I think I would need a bit of time to to look at the scriptures. Um, My personal opinion is that the temple will be rebuilt, that it's it's the center of Judaism. And and for a lot of these prophecies that I see to be fulfilled, uh, there needs to be this place of worship reestablished. Uh, in, a, in Israel, maybe this peace covenant that uh, the Jews will have with the beast that will allow them to rebuild the temple. And certainly they're making all the preparations for it right now. All of the objects that will go inside the temple, they're all ready. The plans to create the temple, the blueprints, they're all ready. Uh, I think they're saying that within three years, they can build this temple once they get the go ahead. Um, so, so the Jews are certainly making preparations to do this. Um, is it absolutely critical that the temple be there? Uh, I, I think so from the way that I read the prophecies, but uh, maybe there's another way that God will fulfill this without the actual physical temple. So I don't, want, don't take my word as absolutely dogmatic. It's just the way I'm reading the prophecies. Um, so I'd like to read those scriptures uh, a little bit more carefully, and then maybe that's worth uh, another sermon uh, going in a bit of detail, at least prophetically, why we, why we are looking to Jerusalem and why we suspect that there will be a temple established there uh, before Christ returns. Because the abomination that, that makes desolate needs to be set up in the holy place. Um, and, and it needs to uh, completely defile the holy place. Uh, so this is, this is sort of the, the signal we're looking for to say, okay, this is it. We're entering into the tribulation. It's, it's now three and a half years. And then our Lord returns. So Christ tells us, look for this. Look, look for what Daniel spoke of. And when you see that standing in the holy place, then you know that, that that's the signal. So um, I, I, sent I, you if,
1: the, uh, I sent you the uh, message just for future reference, so you can hang, we can hang on to perfect. that question.
0: Perfect. Thank you. And I think I just saw something here. I'm not sure how to answer this one. Can you think of a theme if we think of Sarah, Hannah, and then Anna? Um, it may be something about a barrenness. Uh, I'm not sure what um, Brother Rod is asking there. I don't know, Brother Rod, if you could maybe add, uh, add a little bit more, uh, just elaborate a little bit more on what you're getting out there. Unless, uh, Murray, uh, you have a thought. Yeah, I
1: can't. Uh, um, uh, barrenness uh, comes to mind for Sarah and Anna. I'd have to check. I'd have to, have to, I'd have to look up Anna real quick and see if she was barren as well. Uh, but, yeah, Brother Rod, if you could uh, maybe add uh, –
0: and then our sister Arlene says, uh, there, is, there are a lot of churches of God at the end time. Will they be united? Uh, I don't know if the churches will be united. I, I, in fact, I think go so far as to say I don't think the churches will be united. But the people of God will be united. That all those who are faithful in Christ. Um, you know, you think of um, uh, Elijah. When he just thought, you know, I'm all alone, and they they even want to kill me. Mm -hmm. And God basically says, not so fast. I still have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. They're mine. Um, So so I think uh, we will be surprised when God gathers his faithful as one, uh, coming from all different countries and uh, quote-unquote denominations, or or let's say congregations. So it's not the churches that God is interested in, the organizations. It's the people. And um, within an organization, you're going to have wheat and tares. Uh, God is interested in the wheat, and, and the wheat will be united uh, in time. And then, um, oh, sorry, if, I don't know if you wanted to comment on that, but just quickly, uh, Alex says he agrees. He also thinks the temple will be built before the Great Tribulation and before Christ returns. I'm sorry, Maria, I thought you might wanted to. Uh,
1: yeah, no, no, you, you uh, covered that well. I don't have anything to add to that.
0: Uh, I just looked at the time and uh, realized, wow, oh, time, <laughs> time flies when you're having fun. Uh, so I really appreciate the engagement here, and I think this is, this is fantastic. This is what we're here for, is to equip the saints. I, I think the saints are studying. They want to know these things. Uh, you know, Even as far away as Ghana, uh, Sister Vita wants to be able to explain things to others. This is exactly right. Uh, we, we don't want brethren who are passive who come you know, on a weekly basis and sit down and just listen and, and don't think that they, have their ba- their, they bear any responsibility. We all have the responsibility to witness, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And so Pastor Murray and I are here to equip you, and, and the other pastors as well, faithful pastors are here, to equip you for the work of ministry. <laughs> so everybody has a job, and I think this opportunity for us to uh, study together it's not in vain you know we we will be in positions where we have to answer questions and so i think this is wonderful
1: yeah and thank you for uh, all your uh, your leadership in these in these uh, studies i try to remember how many books we've, we've gone through now uh, but it's certainly going back a number of years now and definitely appreciate uh, the opportunity to join you and, and assist
0: yeah, I just, I, I love the way we work together and, and Deacon Jan as well. And, you know, God is definitely blessing us in our ability to leverage each other's uh, gifts and and uh, abilities. Uh, Sister Vita just wonders what she should do if there's no congregation to celebrate feasts in Ghana. Uh, I think there is, though. Um, maybe we should get in touch. There's, there's a brother here that does go to Ghana to keep the feast
1: yeah, I believe, uh, brother, uh, 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 there's a, there's a brother and sister that go every year, uh, but yeah. I think this year there's, uh, there is a brother, a different brother yeah. that is going so, over there.
0: So I think we'll, we'll reach out to you, uh, Sister Vito. Let's make sure you connect with us and we'll put you in touch with, uh, some brethren there. And maybe a great comment to finish the night on from Sister Arlene. She just, uh, thanks us and thank you. We thank all of you, brethren. We love you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, wherever you are keeping the feast, as Pastor Murray said when we when we kicked off this session, is uh, we are commanded to assemble. We are commanded to rejoice. So it's kind of awkward times. It's a bit strange. Personally, I'm not looking forward to wearing a mask. I can't stand the thought of sitting hours breathing my own carbon dioxide. Um, I just uh, I'm, I'm struggling with that. Uh, but I want to be with the brethren. I want to rejoice. Uh, so we'll we'll find a way we'll we'll make the feast work and it's going to be a feast to remember. So we we pray that God will give His richest blessings on all of you as you are faithful to His commandments. Um, we will not have a Bible study uh, a Wednesday night Bible study next week, but I am planning to uh, broadcast every morning. Um, we're going to start the Book of Ephesians, and I don't I don't expect people to follow live. Uh, some may, um, but the idea for me is just to have the discipline of you know, just having the study every day and to put it into the archive. And so hopefully after the feast or maybe even during the feast, if you do have an opportunity, you can, uh, you can check the archives. And then uh, brother Gary says uh, he has a friend in Ghana that uh, uh, he can put the uh, sister Vita in touch with and have a final, Thanks, final word to you, uh, brother Murray. Uh, everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm...
1: Have a great Feast of Tabernacles. Uh let's uh remember that uh as you typically uh end all of your studies, uh Jesus Christ is Lord and it is uh it is a privilege and an honor to serve him and to be in, to be part of the covenant. Let's not forget that.
0: Amen. God bless everyone. Thanks so much, Brother Bye bye. Thanks.